0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Greatest Games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller. With me is Jonathan Wilson. And with us today is Vitušin Ihan Taraja, sports writer for the independent and indie sport and also a part of the Football Ramble. Vish, lovely to see you.
1: (laughs) Thanks for having me back, I suppose. Yeah, very... um still honoured. I feel like this is the kind of thing that... You know, you don't get two, this is your life appearances, do you? I feel like this is my...
2: This is my second. No, we're not talking about you. <laughs> Have you forgotten the format? <laughs>
0: we're not sort of reviewing the time you came on the show previously. I
1: thought this was, I thought this was what it was, yeah. You've done Greatest Games, now you've done the greatest episode of The Greatest Games. So I was coming back to talk about myself, yeah. It's
0: the, it's the greatest men uh, is, yeah. uh, is why you're on here. Well, actually, ladies and gentlemen, the real reason Vish is on is we're going back to 29th of September 2001 to talk about a match at White Hart Lane that finished Tottenham Hotspur three, Manchester United five. Vish, why have you chosen this game?
1: Um I've chosen this game you know, partly to right or wrong because I talked about um Liverpool to Arsenal uh sorry, Liverpool two Arsenal one, yeah, in my first right. my first appearance here and I thought I should talk about my team at Manchester United. Um but uh to be serious, um this feels like the game that when people talk about Manchester United and their ability to come back from deficits and, um, you know, the game's never done, this is that game.
3: Mm.
1: Now, you can obviously point to the the 99 Champions League final against Bayern Munich, but the very nature of this, being 3-0 down at half-time and winning 5-3, even the idea that all the goals were at one end of White Hart Lane, (laughs) (laughs) I find quite amusing. And, um, you know, we've seen this season, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has lent on a lot of, you know, Manchester United's... um, history as it were and I think this season United have, have taken the most points from uh, from losing positions and so I decided to do a little bit of research um, just about you know historically well you know in Premier League history that is about teams that have gained the most um, points from losing positions. Man United are top with 348 mm. and counting. Do you know who's second?
0: I will say Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, yeah.
1: they are Spurs. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like, eh? Yeah, it's fascinating. really.
0: But how, how far down? How far away from Manchester United are they?
1: Um, the points? Eighteen points. Manchester United have three hundred forty-eight, and Spurs have three hundred thirty.
0: Well, I'm quite surprised at that. I have to say, but then Manchester United, I suppose, they weren't often behind. Because they were such a dominant side. Well,
2: they were at this period. I mean, if you think, you know, even in ninety-eight, nine, they went behind. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say something like eleven or twelve times that season, and 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 got away with a draw or a victory. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the yeah. I mean, the United were going into this game having won three league titles in a row, but I think the thing Ferguson was aware of was the need to to tighten up that they were too loose that they couldn't afford to give the opposition a start. And I, I think that was really true in Europe. So you look back to the defeats to Monaco and Dortmund year before ninety nine, and then they'd had the the defeats to to Real Madrid when really they were a better team in two thousand. Then the defeat to, uh, to like, Bayern was it Bayern or was
0: it Bayern was it, Leverkusen on away goals was it that was this season 0-2. but do you the mean? previous
2: season I think was to to, to M- Bayern. Was it? It was. Uh, yeah, it was buy It was. You know, okay. it was definitely Debyein. Okay. Um, but anyway, I mean, the Madrid game, I think, is the one where you yeah, they draw nil nil in the Bernabeu. This is the mm-hmm. quarterfinal in two thousand. They drew nil nil. Mm-hmm. Get it back to Old Trafford and suddenly find themselves because of a keen known goal and two goals in the break. They find themselves chasing the game in the second half when really they were much the better side. And yeah, it was one of those games where. The narrative sort of runs out of control and people are sort of like, ah, look, you know, United undone by clever opposition. And actually, the, it's sli- slightly more complicated than that. They were much the better side, but they, they allowed that kind of result to happen by being so open. On on the normal balance of play, they should have won it. You know, Karanka should have been sent off for handball on the line. But the point was, they put themselves in a position where they could let in three. And so I think the signings that Ferguson makes, bringing in Verón, even to an extent bringing in Van Nistelrooy, were an attempt to play a slightly more possession-heavy, controlled form of football.
0: What about Laurent Blanc coming in? I mean, obviously he's a bit older, but was was he then brought in to kind of steady it at the back a little bit, perhaps?
2: I guess experience, yeah. I mean, it, it, it um... I, don't, I mean, it didn't really work that signing, did it? That's what no, the, no, no, One of yeah, the old no. men he brought in who, who who it didn't really click with. Uh, I mean, he was he was coming in specifically for the Yapstam. Is that true? Well, Yapstam
0: had left for Lazio, big money. Because Verón had gone the other way.
2: Yeah, uh, but, but I mean, the Stam thing was because Ferguson felt in his autobiography, he'd sort of breached confidences Yeah, you know, by his famous description of the Nevels as being busy. Um, <laughs> I, I, and I think that was almost a point of principle. And, and Ferguson did the whole thing of Stam being... Being past his best, but I he clearly wasn't. He kept on playing he, perfectly well. For so, he, so he brought in a thirty-five-year-old. long <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but he did I regret. Used to find... He, he Sorry, did regret but... the
0: the the um, letting Yapstam go, though. Fish didn't he? He said he regretted that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Only when enough time had passed that you know <laughs> people had stopped wondering what he was what he was doing. Yeah, um, I, I remember. I, I used to find Blanc so infuriating because. You know, I, th- you, I think you um Ferguson had tried to sign him three times before he eventually got it. Well, maybe this was the third time he he um he went for a signature and eventually got it. And you know, obviously World Cup winner and, and we know his class, but to watch him, you were like Ugh. he's just so slow. You go from someone like Yap Stam, who was just
3: mm-hmm.
1: just his meaty legs and just and just meaty Yap Stamness to going to Blanc, who Whenever someone says the phrase "knobbly knees," I think of Lauren Blanc. <laughs> he had the nobliest knees imaginable. But the one thing about him was, I don't think I've seen a Manchester United player with a better first touch than Lauren Blanc. His first touch was out of this world. He would come out of defence, and you know, if he wasn't clearing balls away, he would just take the ball down on his chest or his thigh, or just his, you know—the touch, um, uh-huh. you know, right under himself. And you know, we'll talk about the game and and the goal he gets which is the only goal he scores for for Manchester United um in 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 the league in the league yes yeah 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 um but it's uh yeah it it was a it was a peculiar time for i mean this is this is so privileged isn't it I'm to say it's a, it was a peculiar time for Manchester United
2: fans as if I mean they you know, were the champions in this uh, yeah, particular exactly. match but yeah <laughs> but I mean I think there was an odd sense of things beginning to fall apart so there's been a very specific thing. I mean, yeah, I I just started working as a journalist by by this point, and and the thing I remember uh, was that you know the summer before, this the summer two thousand and one, United went on a tour to Australia, and uh, they were at a training session in Sydney, and they were stretching before before the session started, and Dwight York fell asleep during during the stretching, and the the rest of the squad went off for for a lap of the pitch. And left Dwight York just sort of sitting there asleep. So that was one of the reasons York was bombed out—that he couldn't be trusted to stay awake during training. I mean, that's... and if you think of of you know Ferguson as this sort of ferocious martinet, uh, you know this great disciplinarian, he, he's the last person you'd imagine having, even somebody as laid back as Dwight York falling asleep during his training sessions. <laughs> so it, I think there was a sense that yes, they won three in a row hadn't really been challenged the the, the second two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, there the was a little bit of entropy had set in and there was a need to put things right. And, you know, just two weeks before this game, United had lost 4-3 at Newcastle, which was another game where you sort of saw the defensive issues, the fact that the midfield and the back four wasn't quite working together and that there was a vulnerability there that we really weren't used to do
0: you think the the sort of aura of the uh treble winning side this was when it's really started to kind of die out and dim perhaps because the following season there was that documentary made they obviously won the league they had that quarter final that, that you mentioned in the champions League. it could have been a little bit different by now you say yap stams left um uh, later on in the season i mean he played of course in this game but later on in the season andy cole would go uh, at the end of this season, Dennis Irwin, Ronnie Johnson, they left. Yeah, these are players who who started that Champions League final. You know, Sheringham had already left for Spurs. Uh, is it sort of a transitional period? You've mentioned we've mentioned a few of the signings that they had. Vish. you know, did you think that this was one of those ones where Ferguson was trying to figure out right that that side now is kind of not every player. There were still a number of players, but that sort of team that, as I say, aura has now sort of faded, and he's trying to come up with something new.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I, I think we, um, you know, it's been brought up a lot nowadays with regards to, you know, Pochettino is probably the most recent one when, um, you know, Miguel Delaney, uh, my colleague at the Independent, has written about this quite a lot and he's tweeted about it even more, I think, about <laughs> <laughs> about how, you know, one of Sir Alex Ferguson's um, best qualities was, was knowing how to refresh a squad. Um, and, and this period, uh, you know, just... From what you were saying there, Marcus, this was the biggest of them all, and you could Mm. argue that maybe it was a season too late in terms of how this season ended up going for United. And you know, you look at the players he did bring in. You know, Van Nistelrooy was a success, but you couldn't say that of Veron. You couldn't say that of Blanc. So he was Diego
0: Forlan as well.
1: Yeah. um, So he was certainly trying to work it out, and Mm. um, you know, had more misses than hits. But you know, the the Dwight York, the Dwight York story, you just. said so there, um Jonathan. That's that's quite interesting because I can't imagine anyone, even you know, you said even someone as laid back as, as Dwight York, just quite literally falling asleep on Sir Alex Ferguson's watch. Like it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And I wonder if there was a sense among that group that they felt a bit untouchable because you know certainly Cole, when he left United, was was very outspoken. um mm-hmm. And I think there, there was an interesting um, there's an interesting bit of commentary in this. Um, uh, Spurs United game where they mentioned that you know Cole is still on the England radar, mm. and I can't remember when he got his last cap. But it, I remember watching him at that period and thinking like he's on his last legs. Here. He's he's blowing all the way through the game. Mm. He you know comes alive in the second half, but he looks he looks a bit like an old man through that game.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it was You got the impression that a lot of those players who came out of that ninety nine. Season, I suppose, who went on to leave, came to a realization that that level was beyond them in
2: this particular season. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, well, I think, think know... there's also, though. I think there's just sort of a natural sense that teams have a sort of three year cycle, mm-hmm. and then you right. have to begin to refresh. And I think, you know, as as you say, and Miguel have said, Ferguson was a master of it. And you you look at '95 when he called Hughes and Kanchelskis and one other. Who was the other one he called? Ince, Ince. Uh so yeah, those three of if of in uh Ince and Kanchelskis mm-hmm. all, all went and it seemed sort of at the time, yeah, you know, a crazy decision. Of kind of why would you why would you cut out three of your best players? But it's because he knew that there there was a sort of a stagnation had begun to set in. And there's a there's a really interesting line from Nicky Butt towards the and he's he's talking about the the title in two thousand one, so the third straight title. And he says we'd stopped enjoying winning the league, mm. which makes you know if it's not I guess if it's not a challenge for you, yeah. then may, yeah. maybe those little frustrations with teammates, and and you know you look at this squad and obviously there are some characters in there who, who maybe weren't easy to get on with. Uh, I mean Schmeichel had gone by this point, but I think Schmeichel was probably quite difficult in addressing dressing room as well as being a big personality who helped you win games on the pitch. If you're dealing with him day to day, Keane obviously. Uh, I I can. Yeah, Sam clearly had problems with the Nevels. Mm-hmm. So, I guess it happens in any workplace. You, if if people are uh, together for too long, the little the little frictions blow up in something a bit bigger. Particularly if you lose that sense of a of a common mission.
0: Yeah, but they did have a challenge, though, of course, because Arsenal would go on to win the league, and this would really when started the Arsenal Manchester United rivalry back then.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. How serious a challenger Arsenal was seen as being at the start of this season?
0: Yeah, I know um, what you mean. Yeah. I mean,
2: you know, I, 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 th- I think Leeds were seen as—I mean, look, I'm going, I'm trying to remember what I was thinking as a
0: mm-hmm.
2: profoundly naive journalist at the time, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I sort of thought it was a, it was a Leeds for United, uh, scrap, uh, and and Arsenal coming through to. Yeah, to win the double and and
0: Liverpool finished second as well,
2: mostly not a third yeah. this season. Um, so, I mean, look, obviously Arsenal go on to have one of their greatest ever seasons, but I'm not sure that even at this stage, although I think Arsenal were top at this point, weren't they? I think it was, I, I no, sorry, if I, I think Arsenal, I think United by winning this game, go level with Arsenal at the top, and Leeds played on the Monday and went above the two of them. So it was yeah you know, the three of them battling it out at at this point I mean, yeah end of September, um, so yeah I I can't remember what the question was but <laughs> I, I'm not, I I'm not sure that we thought Arsenal we, we realised quite a good Arsenal were I guess is what I'm saying
0: yeah well it was this, sort of the challenge that Arsenal posed with Wenger's Arsenal, who would you know, be invincibles not long after this season, of course, and that great rivalry between the two sides, which is perhaps what Manchester United may be needed by what you're saying, Jonathan, and what you're saying, Vish, as well, that the inertia had set in, they were kind of going through the motions. Nicky Butt said that they were, uh, weren't enjoying winning the league anymore, and then along came Arsenal and kind of gave them a bit of a kick up the arse. But in this particular game that we're covering, it was Spurs who, um, within the 90 minutes, gave them a kick up the arse. And we'll talk about <laughs> the game after this quick break. Welcome back to the Greatest Games on the Blizzard, everybody. Right, gentlemen, let's get to the um, the actual match itself. Um, so, yeah, Manchester United, we mentioned their defence hadn't looked great uh, in sort of that, well, that season, really, especially on the road. They had a very poor defensive record on the road, Vish. And they go away to White Hart Lane, uh, Tottenham under Glenn Hoddle. Some decent players in there. Gus Poirier, of course, um, a, 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 a veteran strike force of, uh, of Les Ferdinand and Teddy Sheringham, of course. But when the game starts, one wouldn't envisage Tottenham, doing what they did?
1: No, United um, United started pretty brightly. I was, um, you know, just as Jonathan was trying to reminisce about what he was thinking as a naive journalist, I was trying to think back to what an even, well, even more naive would have been thinking at the time. <laughs> but, I, but I remember, um, you know, I, I, I'd grown up with, with football and, and having two strikers, but something about Van Nistelrooy and Andy Cole together didn't quite fit with me you know when United had um Cole York Sheringham and Solskjaer for that 99 season you could kind of piece two together you know you could could work out different combinations of of what would work um but with Cole and and Van Nistelrooy I really got the impression that they not only did they want the same space but they they both wanted the same thing which was you know, primarily goals.
0: But you know, I think when you're talking about the combinations before, other than Cole and Sheringham, a lot of that is on Sheringham because of the role he was sort of famously playing.
2: Yeah, I mean, Sarsiya could 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 drop off a of, I mean, lowey's a great poacher, mm-hmm. he also could play wide, he could yeah. play deep. Mm-hmm. So it was it was possible to to to. Um, the the only two you wouldn't have played together then. No, because York you could drop off as well. So you mm. could yeah you, know, you could actually play any of them because it. York is the only one who can't really play as the out and out striker, and yeah. Cole is the only one who can't really play as the slightly deeper lying striker. Mm-hmm. My assumption here is that, that Ferguson assumed Forlan would would adapt much quicker, and Forlan could have played the slightly slightly deeper role. If you think of how he played yeah. for, for mm. Uruguay with, with with Suarez, he could have, you know that would have been the role that he he presumably was mm. expected to play here, and I I I I think Vanessoi. I mean, obviously there'd been the delay with the transfer that they'd signed, and then he got injured, so the, the the transfer was put back. Um But my, I assume the, the plan was for him to to ultimately replace Cole as as he does. But I, I'd be amazed if the idea from the start was for the two of them to play together.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the the midfield for Manchester United
0: that day, obviously Beckham, Button, Skulls, and Veron's in there. I mean, it's you know a decent midfield, but Veron. It, he came on a on, you know huge money huge reputation the type of guy who would run games uh, who would be such a, a powerhouse in the midfield for manchester united it didn't quite work out vision is i know you you're a fan of um, Veronis, but you know he's he's playing were you disappointed that it never quite clicked with him at manchester united or perhaps in hindsight you're not surprised
1: i wouldn't say disappointed but genuinely quite sad because hmm. it felt like I don't know. It felt like the last Infinity Stone. It felt like right. This is when, <laughs> this is when it gets serious for for Manchester United. This is everything comes together and they become a, a consistent continental force. I don't want to. I don't want to sit here and you know, given the amount of gibberish I spout on the ramble, I don't want to sit here and then poke holes in Sir Alex Ferguson's, you know, tactical brain, as it were, but. I really got the impression that he didn't necessarily know where to put Ron. And I wonder how much of that was because he knew where to put everyone else. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there was only, you know, a certain place Ron could go. Because he played out on the left. Mm -hmm. He would play, you know, sitting. He would play further forward. Sometimes there was the occasion he would play almost as a number 10-ish type role. Or like an advanced number 8. And... All through it, I thought, well, you know, I, I think he's he's good enough to do that. But then I, you know, I I'd probably say he was good enough to be a rocket scientist because I was that enamored with him. Um, and this game was a it was a great example of he cut he he starts essentially starts out wide, and then by the end of the game, he's shifted maybe like half a space or like half a pitch inward, and he's just unplayable. But for that first half, you, you don't really see him. You, you're kind of thinking that. United have been overawed and it looks like they're playing with 10 men.
0: Mm. I mean, Jonathan, do you think one of the regrets for Manchester United is that, you know, Varon was brilliant at Lazio, of course won the league title there. We know Ferguson nearly left Manchester United around this time. And of course, the man who was mooted to replace him was sven and Eriksson, who knew how to get the oh, best out of Oh, and Vaughan. so we get there. Oh. And so do you yeah. think, do you think I thought this was too high-brow for Sven. Do, do you think one <laughs> of the great regrets for Manchester United is they never actually went for Sven and pushed out <laughs> Ferguson? Uh,
2: no. Um, I mean, I, 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 th- I think the logic of signing for was was sound in that he wanted greater control through midfield. And I think he was probably envisaging going to a five-man midfield, which he did at mm-hmm. times. But, I mean, that was so unpopular that, that you know, you go to Old Trafford and you'd hear them chanting four-four-two, four-four-two. It's such an <laughs> extraordinary... I I, I, I really like to think that that had been a kind of true throughout football. They kind of... When, you know, in around about 1960, when, when the back fours were placed with mm. WM, you had people kind of demanding... You're chanting WM, WM, WM. <laughs> um, but I, I think, particularly, uh, there's those four games because he played them in the group and then the quarterfinal. Uh, would it have been this year or the following season? When they played Deportivo.
3: Mm, and, I, this I think, year.
2: and I think those games, uh, you saw the advantages that playing a 4 1 gave you. And I mean, I remember sort of watching. Deportivo and sort of thinking, and I think we'd seen it a little bit in year two thousand as well um the forty three one got dribblers back in the game it got proper dribbling wingers it gave you it gave you the defensive screen to to have those two slightly less reliable players rather than playing you hard working up and down wide midfielders, which even beckham magnificent oh. crossover football though he was he worked really hard he always protected yeah. Gary Neville whereas you you could play those those slightly more uh, creative, exciting, maverick players. And I think Ferguson was probably looking to go to something a bit more like that to to both give him the extra solidity in the middle without and, and actually not really not lose creativity, but give a different, give a greater variety of creativity. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the problem was that Verón was just coming into an ecosystem where everybody knew their role. He was a perfect midfield four with I mean, okay, there's, there's Nicky Butt there as well who he, he could come in and give you more, more solidity if you wanted, but you know the Keenan skulls in the middle, Beckham and Giggs wide. That that is the classic British and Irish midfield four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you try and drop this you know, somebody who comes from an entirely different culture, who's never played in 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 an English four four two. You try and bring him into the, into that system, and there's a real problem of of adaptation on both sides. And I think that's why it didn't work. And of course, there's a famous press conference the following May. Um, when when Ferguson leaves, going, he's a fucking great player, you are all fucking idiots. <laughs> 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 Which is sort of, the, yeah, I mean, in retrospect, pro- pro- probably correct.
0: Yeah.
3: I don't know that, yeah. I hope so not.
2: I, 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 I don't think it's about Veron not being a good player or United you, no. not, not. It's just, you know, sometimes good players mm-hmm. and good midfields. You can't just take a good midfielder and put him in another good midfield and expect that to create a better midfield. That's not how football works. It's it's a yeah. complicated thing and getting the balance right. Even for somebody as 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 you know as experienced and clearly brilliant as Ferguson, mm-hmm. it's 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 not a yeah, there's, there's an element of gamble every time you do that.
3: Yeah.
1: Can but I ask it... a quick Can I yeah, ask yeah. a quick question here because I only get so long with Jonathan Wilson. <laughs> Yeah. Um. <laughs> if if Veron was around now, do you think he would be, uh, I suppose uh, on a higher tier as a footballer because you know because of the systems now would be easier to accommodate him and, and they, I suppose there'd be more appreciation
2: of his work in in Premier League terms. Yeah. I mean, I think he. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in in Italy and Argentina, he's hugely yeah. uh, revered. But yeah, I mean, you can imagine him now in a you know in a in a Modern four three three or 4-2-3-1, which mm-hmm. are not hugely different, I guess. You can imagine him being the slightly more creative one alongside uh, Declan Rice or uh, Calvin Phillips or um, mm-hmm. something like that. And, and he'd, so he'd for, West Hammond
1: at... Leeds, he'd for West Ham and Leeds, he played for West Ham and Leeds. Well, do you know what though? But funny you
0: saying about all this, he he might well have been better playing for Tottenham Hotspur in the because under Hoddle, you know, Hoddle would have loved that type of player. Um strange thing, but of course he wouldn't have been surrounded. Well yeah him by...
2: hit alongside Stephen Foynt. That that's... you know, that's it's the <laughs> partnership that we were yeah. cruelly
0: denied, one one could argue. But but generally go going, going um or at least uh, um talking about the game, you know. Uh as I said, Vish, you know, we we wouldn't have thought that uh you know, even with the old uh, crappy old Varon in the centre of the pitch, that Spurs would have raced into a, a three 0 lead at half time. And, and and you said Manchester United started Quite brightly, and then um, the late Dean Richards scores. I think he was on his debut for for Tottenham. Scores, you know, the corner comes in and he gets a touch, and it's and it's one nil. And uh, the most uh,
2: expensive English signing, uh-huh. uh, not to have won a cap when he was signed,
0: is that that's a good wow. start, that? Oh, so uh, I, I, I phrase well. that
2: very badly. He was the most expensive uncapped signing at the time mm. at eight point one million pounds from Southampton.
0: Uh-huh. Well, there you are. Um, and he well he he, he put them one 0 up that day, and uh, and then ten minutes later, Les Ferdinand is is played through nice pass from from Gus Poyet, and does what Les Ferdinand does, uh, thumps it into the but, corner. But,
2: but that goal shows all the problems with United at this mm. time. That Blanc, for some reason, the left side of defence is ten yards in front of the right side of the defence. <laughs> Blanc steps up so late that. I'm not even sure which phase of play he's in. It's it's it's, <laughs> I, and and Ferdinand has so much time, uh, you know, and and he just he literally you can see him lining it up on his left foot to put it in the yeah. bottom corner, and it must have been a thought in his head. I'm, i must be offside here. This doesn't feel yeah. right. And there's this incredibly poignant sight of Varon's bald head chasing back for miles up the pitch because it, it's not his fault but somehow the rest of the defence has just disintegrated and mm. Blanc's positioning is all wrong and Varane ends up even though he's 30 yards away being the closest man to him desperately chasing back and <laughs> never going to get there as Les Ferdinand does the thing that's easiest in the world to him of hammering a ball really hard into the corner <laughs> I think Barthez was even appealing to the offside at the start of that
1: as well. And he. What well, he would do, he would... that's
2: what he did, wasn't it? You know, well, yeah, I mean, he he
1: did it um, quite catastrophically that season in the FA Cup against West against Ham. Against West Ham, yeah. When De Canio was basically within handshaking distance of him, <laughs> and he still had his hand in the air appealing to <laughs> the offside. Incredible. <laughs>
0: Um and then and then 2-0 uh became 3 0 uh, just before half time. And this was actually a lovely Spurs goal. Um I think it was uh, was it Poe uh, who who played the pass?
3: Yeah,
2: Poyez cross. yeah.
0: And, and Spurs fans were cheering the passes if you watch that footage back before he, he puts the ball in and then and then zega with a with a lovely diving but head. But again, the
2: defence well, I don't understand what's yeah. happened because well, <laughs> Ziga comes in behind Gary Neville and uh-huh. David Beckham's sort of 15 yards upfield. Yeah. And Beckham goes, goes berserk. Beckham starts punching himself on the thighs. But he seems <laughs> to be doing that while at Gary Neville. But it's not Gary Neville's fault. Gary Neville's tucked in behind the centre-back. Whether he's got sucked in too far because Blanc's gone walkabout. But mm. I, I think that's Beckham's fault. That Beckham should be tracking Seager.
0: Yeah, did Roy Keane then come out and say, "If you're going to pick on Gary Neville, why don't you pick on me as well?" <laughs> uh, unfortunately for Beckham, he wasn't playing that day. But yeah, it was it was three nil, and it, and and Manchester United were at sixes and sevens. Um, going forward, they still looked like they had a goal or two in them, which would obviously be the case. But you're right; at the back, it was shambolic, and Spurs fans cheering the passes at two before two nil became. 3-0. I mean, that's a risk, isn't it?
2: It is a risk, and it, and and, and so it certainly, you really are uh, poking the beast by doing that. <laughs> you you got you yeah you, you, you turning around and going nemesis nemesis yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you around here.
0: <laughs> but, you, but, but fish, do you not think it was it was interesting because they obviously thought yeah this you know ding dong the witch is dead sort of thing you know Manchester United yeah they're, they're not they're not so bad to quote Rocky.
1: Even uh, even Ziga's celebration in that it wasn't a celebration because he and that was a really nice diving header and then mm. just kind of lays on the floor and just, you know, gets the acclaim. And even the, you know, you can tell by the pitch of a crowd cheer yeah. of of expectation or where they think the game is. And that was the cheer of a, right, this is ours. There was, was a an element of win. kind of Yeah. yeah. There was an yeah. element like, right, we got this. Let's enjoy the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and no doubt, you know, David Beckham's punching himself in the thigh. And yeah, I think the... um <laughs> Well, that was a, that was the fourth minute, I think, of um, yeah. of added time in the uh, in the first half as well. Yeah,
0: mm. yeah, a rare one. Well, they they, they get themselves in at half time, and and the famous story, of course, from Roy Keane is that uh, he, you know he he said that despite all these criticisms of uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and and whatnot, he said that Ferguson always got, or nearly always got his his team talks, whether it be at half time or um, or. Pre match spot on, he said he always got the mood quite right. And this one, of course, it was what was it, three words lads, it's Tottenham, and then walked out of the dressing room. Apparently, that's what uh, that's how the story goes, Jonathan, anyway. And it seemed to have the desired
2: effect. Right, and there's a story as well on the flip side of that of I can't remember which United player it is, but he says that as they as they were walking up the tunnel to go back on the pitch, he heard mm. Teddy Sheringham say, Whatever you do, don't let him score early. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, what happens? <laughs>
2: yeah, within a minute.
0: Within, I tell you what though, that is so damning on Spurs. I remember that, that team talk, lads, it's Tottenham. And then walking out, you know, of, of the dressing room to let them get on with it. And so many, you know, a few mates of mine who sport Spurs just were like, that, that is so disrespectful. But at the same time, they were like, yeah, fair enough. You've got us there.
2: <laughs> and it's the same I mean, as the Chiellini line, isn't it? If this yeah. is the history of the Tottenham.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, whether whether he said it or not, it's now something that is that said whenever yeah. Tottenham do Tottenham y Spurs yeah. things. Well, um, I mean,
2: I, I wasn't at this game, but I was at the game three years later mm-hmm. when they were three full up at half time against 10 man Manchester City. I mean, Manchester City as well, mm-hmm. in those days, yeah. and lost it 4 3. And yeah. My my report rapidly turned from Keegan on his way out to most incredible comeback in the history of the FA Cup.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think Alan Hansen said it was like one of the best games he'd ever seen, or something like that. But yes, so out they come, and as, as you say, Within a minute, I think it was oh, after the break, Andy Cole heads in. There was an extraordinary amount of headed goals in this game uh, and Andy Cole uh, got a lovely one actually and the cross came from the right side and it was 3-1 and then a the 3-1 fish. But it's
2: a really good move, sorry. But it, yeah, yeah no, no, no. it's a good move. It's, it's a classic mm. sort of you know, playing it long to Van Nistelrooy then recycling it and then yeah. in the end they've, they've worked the overlap so that Beckham plays this pattern and loads of space for Gary Neville. He's got time to shape his cross mm-hmm. and then yeah, good cross, good header.
0: Yeah, and it's it's 3-1. And then are you thinking, oh, are we back on? Or are you still thinking, no, this is this is dead and buried?
2: I mean, when you score
1: that early, you have to think you're back on. But it was also the, um, when when Cole makes contact with the ball, Solskjaer, who came on for
2: but, I think? It came on for but before half-time. Which is before half-time, When you were talking yeah. earlier about Varon moving into the middle, mm. that's what allows it because Solskjaer goes out to the left yeah. and Verón tucks in. So Solskjaer, Van Nistelrooy, and Andy Cole are within,
1: you know, two or three yards of each other in the box, and there was a sense of like, right, they're just, they're just going for it, and, and you know, why wouldn't you three no down? Mm. So to get a goal that early, I mean, I, I think it was more after the second goal, understandably than this one. But my, my other memory from from the goals itself were just how shambolic Spurs were. I'm sure it mm. wasn't like this, but it it really felt like they were just falling over. Yeah, they were so nervous that they just they couldn't keep up right. And it's just one
0: of those things in football yeah. when the momentum shifts, and it, it, it's so inevitable. Everybody knows what's going to happen, Every, and and it, the opposition, the the, the people who are on the, the team who's on the receiving end of it, just seem absolutely paralysed, and they, it just seems, Jonathan, they just can't stop it. It's kind of like, oh no, it's happening, and and we are we just have to pray that that, that they miss their chances.
2: Yeah, I and mean, I think this is one of the the fascinating things about psychology in football and how clubs have their own personalities which mm. are irrespective of the manager, irrespective of the players. Yep. And it, it's it's really in you know, so for, you you often hear people say, "Oh, yeah, the most pointless statistic you'll ever hear is team Y hasn't won away at team X since 1974." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that actually matters because Team X knows and its fans know. Oh, well, we always beat this lot, mm-hmm. and so as soon as they score, it's fine, same usual pattern, and and that that has an impact on the game. Mm-hmm. And you know, United at this period were the masters of a comeback. So going, okay, going three 0 down is obviously non ideal, but other teams would have felt they were dead and buried. United didn't. They knew mm-hmm. they got an early goal. Even Sheringham saying that. Shows it's in yeah. his mind because he also knows the history of a Tottenham. That he <laughs> he knows that kind of Tottenham are exactly the type of team yeah. who are going to freeze once once that momentum tips, and you know Roy Keane as a manager obviously it hasn't gone brilliantly for him. But the one season where it did go brilliantly, he somehow brought that Manchester United mentality to Sunderland, and Sunderland again and again that season were one nil down with ten minutes to go,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and even as a broadly pessimistic Sunderland fan. I'd be watching a game with 1-0 down you think, yeah, it's alright, we'll get an equaliser here. We might win this. And there were two games towards the end of that season against Burnley and Southampton mm-hmm. when we were 2-1 down with 10 minutes to go, won both games 3-2 and neither really came as a surprise. Both games, you could sense.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Sunderland knew that Roy Keane had somehow given them this, this Manchester United quality of, Keeping going, and maybe something to do with fitness work as well. I don't know, or maybe even specific psychological work he did. Although signing half the United <laughs> reserves as well—that would have probably, helped. <laughs> yeah, a, a policy that rapidly ran out of steam. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and the opposition also knew that. Kind of, oh Christ, it's this lot who always mm. come at you, and and you know there's a force there that we can't stop. And of course, it shouldn't matter, but it does matter. Um, and that's where you know it doesn't matter how sophisticated statistical models and XG and things get. That weird psychology, particularly when crowds are in the stadium, that the, the 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 culture that surrounds clubs mm-hmm. still has this this bizarre impact.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean you see it with Manchester City in Champions League sometimes, you know at the time of recording they may well have won the Champions <laughs> League. Uh, so I should should say that. But it's certainly in the early days when they were getting in there. But yeah, so three one, um twelve minutes later becomes three two and and that man Lauren Blanc scores his uh, his his first goal for Manchester United. And again another head of Yeah,
1: yeah, a delightful header. I think there was one, there was a corner before that where he almost gets on at the near post and Yeah, it was quite a delightful header. His little kind of springy Bambi legs get him up and um the just a stupid thing to notice. But United are wearing white socks in this game. Mm-hmm. But he's wearing like almost
0: <laughs> Has he washed them with colours? Is that what you're saying? Well,
1: no, but he he's wearing like it's almost like he needs to hold his shins together. So he's got this <laughs> t- two bits of thick black strapping, um, kind of at the top and bottom of his shin with a gap in the middle, so you see the white of the socks. And he's got them on both, uh, on both on both shins, and it looks just looks like he's being held together. You know, <laughs> maybe he had a back as well. But um, no, gets up really well and 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 you can you can sense then like mm. United are. I think every United player is running out of the box, ready to start again. And I think no Spurs player has moved uh, like, it's inevitable. When that second yeah, one goes
0: in, it's utterly inevitable.
1: It's almost like they think well, if we don't kick off again, they can't. <laughs> we can if we stay here. This is the ultimate time wasting. The worst, yeah, the worst they can do is arrest us, but we won't lose the game.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. Because um, Ronnie Johnson misses a great chance. Uh, yeah, yeah. about eight or nine minutes later, and when he misses it a, a, again, it, the, the the surprise is. Well, obviously, if you miss a great chance, then people are expecting you to score, and there is an element of we've got away with that. I think, but the, the the Spurs fans, it was almost as if, oh, that like that's that's ridiculous how we've got away with that. Like it, it, it seems inevitable that this is going to happen, and it's almost like a, a not a disbelief because it was an easy chance, and there was ah, you idiot, you know, you you kind of miss that. It was kind of oh, this is I, I yeah, you see what I'm sort of struggling to say.
1: Well, there were twenty minutes left, weren't there? I think. Yeah, yeah, tw- yeah, yeah,
0: twenty-five minutes left, yeah. Uh, so when it, when it,
2: yeah, there, there was a sense that well, they're getting another one, weren't they? <laughs> I think. Yeah. So. I mean, tw- twenty minutes is a long. You know, yeah, you know, with thirty-two minutes in the second goal, it's a long time to hold out mm. against the United with with the wind behind them.
0: Yeah, and that seemed to be what they were hoping on was holding out because they they never really showed much intent, and that's what I mean. It was almost like they were paralysed. To this fact that Manchester United are surely going to go on and win the game, and then on 71 minutes, uh, Van Nistelrooy uh, he heads in as well. Um, John, I think it was a header that he scored. Yeah, from uh, Sylvester. It, so
2: Sylvester would come on for Dennis Irwin at time That's right. Which I mean, Dennis Irwin obviously was a you know great cross of the ball, but I guess by this stage in his career, he probably didn't get forward quite as much or quite as quickly. So
3: mm-hmm. I mean, he
2: went off for injury. It wasn't a tactical issue, but I think it probably did help United having yeah. You know, a little bit more pace from Sylvester and, and again it's Andy Cole doing a great job sort of linking up which um i think as as his career went on he got better and better at and uh-huh. and possibly it's a bit of his of his game that, that was that was underrated but um you you see how often in a, in this game united went long and either here or Anissoy wins it holds it mm-hmm. up and then lays it off to midfield midfielder and then makes it run into the box uh, but I mean here it's you know he, he he lays it off to, to Sylvester, who crosses for, for Van Nistelrooy. Yeah, and that was the, that was
0: the the turning point. You know, seven on seventy one minutes, and then seventy five were on scores. But there's something about that. The goals were kind of fairly sort of staggered until that point, and and it's the old one two. They hit them with Van Nistelrooy equalisers, and then it's kind of like, right lads, we, we, we've got them. They've they're done for now. We can only score more goals in this game, and a few minutes later, the, the Varon gets the ball out wide and stuffs it into the corner. It's a lovely finish, Fish.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is the best goal of the lot because Solsha, um, when he receives the ball, um, I can't remember who passes him the ball, but Varon essentially he doesn't quite run over it, but he certainly runs around it and creates a kind of, you know, almost like an infield overlap, as it were to Solskjaer, so he play- ends up playing it first time. And the touch to set himself on his left foot with his right mm. foot is out of this world. The first time I saw it, I thought he kind of dabble at it and rolled, his, rolled mm. his right foot over it to get it onto his left foot. But he doesn't. He kind of controls it on the half volley, and he cocks his right foot enough to get the ball exactly where he wants. Where he wants. And because his first touch is so good, mm. he buys himself a an extra split second. So he he has a look in the middle to see if anyone else is better placed before deciding that he's the man who's going to do the job and, and just nails it into the far corner, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and the celebration of that ensues it's kind of it was very jubilant. You know, there's still obviously that you know, from three nil down to four three, you're gonna be rather pleased with that. But it was a we've won the game now.
2: Yeah, and and this is a point as well when veron it, it hadn't become apparent it wasn't going to work. So I think that was his third goal in September. So, I mean, I think people were aware that it wasn't quite gelling properly, but I think there was still a sense at this at this period that there's a lot of promise there, and this probably will come right eventually.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, and and all that was left really in the game was for David Beckham to smash home the fifth, the fifth fish.
1: Yeah, just finding his range before um, <laughs> taking down Greece. The next week. But, Um but you know what? You can still—he was still
0: hated by the public at this point. Not quite as bad off the back of the ninety eight World Cup in that in that you know, treble winning season. But you can hear him getting whistled at times when he's on the ball. Uh he's still very, very unpopular he was, and then as you say, one week later he gets the free kick against Greece and it's all changed.
1: Well I mean that Greece goal was the the real right, let's let's stop this. Yeah. Because you're not know, just his performance in that game and the goal obviously, but it was kind of in keeping with how Beckham was playing for England at the time, I think. Um mm certainly around, um, well, you know, qualifiers and whatnot. But he, um, yeah, that, that kind of ended it. So, and I suppose this was the last part of that, That last part of, kind of away teams booing Beckham. Um, the, uh, You know, there were loads of um, interesting videos on YouTube that um, dissect Beckham's technique, because he would rarely kind of really put his foot through the ball in the way that Verón did, say, with mm-hmm. that, um, that goal to go 4-3 up. But this was almost the perfect combination of that cutting across the ball and you know putting his laces to it that mm-hmm. it just arced and you know probably speller you you know exactly what I'm talking about here. Oh yeah, fine oh, yeah. marksman like yourself. But <laughs> just the way he was able to hit it hard enough that it it actually be- moves quite late. It's you know a bit like um, you know fast swing bowling. The reason fast swing bowling is so effective is that when the ball does move, it moves late. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had it
2: had a bit of that. That's, because... that's that's a full house. We've had uh... yeah. <laughs> We've had <laughs> Marcus on fan, me on the you on cricket.
1: We even had that we had, uh, even had a mention of Keegan as well. So we... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the freebie.
0: That's the bonus ball. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's you... a,
1: a brilliant, yeah. a brilliant technique, and and not a strike that you see it, or we certainly saw a lot of from uh, from Beckham.
0: Yeah, it was a great goal, and and a fitting one to end the scoring in this, this eight-goal thriller. Uh, it was still
1: it was eighty-seven minutes, by the way. It so was still yeah. time for a sixth. <laughs> it was, it was.
0: And a bit disappointing um, that they couldn't do to Tottenham what Southampton had done to them, of course, in uh, uh, at the Dell that famous time. Don't mention um, that on this.
1: It's, well, it's I just a thought, happy you know show. You,
0: <laughs> <laughs> But Manchester United they did finish third that season. Jonathan they they lost they would reach the semi-finals of the Champions League they lost to Bayer Leverkusen on away goals um so this was it was a, it was a great second half performance of course but the season would ultimately end in in a fairly disappointing way
2: yeah I mean, i think this this exposed that defensively they just weren't quite as good as they needed to be mm. and i think that yeah there's a whole number of reasons for that but uh the change of goalkeeper yeah, you know, it obviously took a while to, to replace Schmeichel properly. And and probably yeah, probably until they got Van der Sar, they, they didn't. Mm. Um Blanc didn't really work out, Irwin getting towards the end. Um so yeah, I mean for most teams, you know, third place in a Champions League semi final is a great season, but given given what we'd seen from United it obviously felt like a, a bit of a letdown.
0: Yeah, but they did win the league the following season. Vish,
1: they did. Yeah, this um, I, I had to remind myself because I was like, I'm, I'm sure United went on a pretty impressive run in this season, and they were top for for most of the of the new year, so start of 2002. But that was offset by Arsenal matching United for mm. games while for wins rather, while also having games in hand, mm. which they were ultimately able to take. And then obviously, Will gets the winner at Old Trafford in. The, in that game, and it yeah goes from there. But yeah, no, he's, uh, I would love to you know do doing this and going through it. I was like, I don't know how you'd be able to 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 do this in real life. And I suppose we could always wait for the next lockdown, but it'd be quite good to much in the same way that might you might re rewatch The Sopranos, just go through a, a league season because this is one of the more interesting ones actually of that that time. I think.
0: Mm. Well, it's been a pleasure dissecting it with you. My my, my good man. For more stories like that, ladies and gentlemen, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Vish, always a pleasure having you on the pod. I can say that now because you've uh, been on more than once.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you for having me.
0: Not not at all. Uh, Jonathan and I will be back next week with another great game from the history of football. See you then.